Well, good morning, everyone. If you would, open your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 1. I have a lesson this morning I believe will be very helpful and beneficial to us. Been looking forward to it. Before we begin, let's look to our Lord in, in prayer. Our Father, we bow before you this morning. A humbled people, creatures coming into the presence of Almighty God. Father, we come before you carefully and humbly, daring only come, pleading the righteousness in the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, we're a thankful people. How thankful we are that you've told us in your word that we can come accepted in your presence in the Beloved. Because of who the Lord Jesus Christ is and because of what he's accomplished for his people. Father, we're so thankful. Father, I beg of you this morning that you would enable us to exalt the name of Christ our Savior. That you would enable us to look to him by faith and to rest in him. Father, show us your glory, we pray. Show us your redemptive glory. Father, how thankful we are for a place that that you've provided where the gospel's been preached these many years. We pray you would Continue to, to bless. Continue to be with us. Our great fear is that we'd be left alone now. Father, don't leave us alone, we pray. Continue to, to honor your word and to make yourself known in this place. Father, we pray for the sick and afflicted of our number, those who are in deep waters and sorrow and bereavement, and recovering from surgery and facing tests and all these different troubles of this life father we pray you'd be with your people we pray you'd heal that you'd deliver father above all that you'd give a special portion of your your presence to comfort their hearts till such time as you see fit to deliver them all these things we ask in that name which is above every name the name of christ our savior amen i've titled the lesson this morning lessons from the lord's temptation Our text is just two verses, Mark 1, beginning in verse 12. And immediately the Spirit driveth him into the wilderness. And he was there in the wilderness forty days, tempted of Satan. And was with the wild beasts, and the angels ministered unto him. There's two things I want us to see from our lesson this morning. Number one, I want us to see what is it that the Savior accomplished for his people when he was there tempted or tried of Satan. Number two, I want us to find something that will comfort our hearts, that will instruct us and be something that's helpful for us when we're tried. Now first, I want us to see what was it the Savior accomplished in this trial, this temptation? Well, he was tempted as the representative of his people. Now, Mark records this whole event in just two verses, and that's his writing style. His style is to quickly go from one act of the Lord to the next, because remember, Mark is showing us Christ the servant of God. He's rapidly going from one task to the next, one job to the next that the Father's given him to do. And Mark's writing style, I think, is, is, is very good for us in this way. It shows us there were many, many things that had to be done, that Christ had to do in order to save his people from their sin. And he went to those things quickly. He went from one task to the other. He was determined to, to do all of these tasks perfectly. 
So the Savior, when he went to be tempted or tested of Satan, he did that as the servant of God. You see, somebody has to stand up to Satan and defeat him. Somebody has to be tempted of Satan and not fail. Well, you and I can't do that. I mean, we cannot stand up to Satan's temptations. We never have, and we never will. None none of our race will. Adam and Eve failed the very first time Satan tempted them. I mean, the very first time. And he's been doing the same thing ever since. We fail every single time we're tempted of anything, particularly of Satan, but not the Savior. He never failed. He never sinned. He was often tempted, often. He was often tried, but he never sinned. I'll tell you why that's important. His obedience is the righteousness of his people. His success in all of these temptations, his success is the righteousness of his people. Now, if you look over Hebrews chapter 4, I'll show you that. Hebrews chapter 4. Verse 14. Seeing then we have a great high priest that's passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was at all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Our Savior was tempted in every single way his people are tempted. And he never failed one time. He never sinned one time. I find that comforting, don't you? That every step we take as a child of God, every step, every circumstance, our Savior went there first. He suffered it first. We fail every time. He never failed. And since he never failed, now we, we can go to him to find grace at all times. Look at verse 16. Let us therefore, therefore because he was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin, therefore let us come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is also comforting to me. We may come boldly, confidently before the throne of Almighty God, even though we failed every test. We can come boldly, confident that we'll be accepted of the Father because Christ never failed. See, because our Savior, our representative, never failed. The Savior is holy. It's impossible for him to sin. When I say tempted, and that's the word the Scripture uses, tempted. It's not he was tempted in this way, tempted like, oh, I want to sin, should I sin, should I not? He wasn't, the word means tried, tried. When he was tried in this way, he never sinned. He couldn't. It's impossible for him to sin. He didn't have a sin nature. That's why when Satan came to him, he couldn't find anything to work with because there's no sin nature in him. Satan finds plenty to work with, you and me, but he couldn't find anything to work with. He couldn't find a foothold on the Savior. That's what enabled our Savior to crush Satan's head, to destroy his power, to to accuse and condemn and, and, and trick his people. Our Savior was tempted. Here's why he went to, 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 to the wilderness and was tempted these 40 days. 
so he could do for his people what they could never do for themselves. He went there to defeat Satan, to, to put this temptation aside. And he did it. And that's a Savior we can trust. That's why the Savior went there, what he accomplished. All right, number two. I want us to find some comfort and some help for God's people when they're tried. And as you've heard many times in the past, now you listen to these things, because if you don't need them right now, you're going to need them soon. Sooner or later, you will. These are six things that are a comfort and a help to God's people when we're tried. Number one is this. Don't be surprised when trials come our way. We just read there in Hebrews 4 that the Savior was tempted in all points, like as we are, yet without sin. All points, like as we are. Well, that tells me we're going to be tempted in all points too. Look at uh, 1 Peter chapter 4. If you're a believer, here's something that you can expect. Expect trials. Just expect them. You know, a trial can't be a sneak attack on you if you're expecting them, can you? 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice, inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. Peter says, don't think when this trial comes to you, it's a strange thing. It would be strange if we weren't tried, wouldn't it? Some strange thing hasn't happened to us. Something out of God's control hasn't happened to us. Something that's wrong hasn't happened to us. Our Savior promised us this. In this world, you shall have tribulation. You shall. That's a promise. But he didn't end the sentence there. He went on to say, but you be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. I've overcome it. You see, trials are indication that we're children of God, not bastards. That's what Hebrews 12 verse 8 says, that all of God's children suffer these things. God-given faith, the faith that God gives his children to trust Christ. Now that faith has to be tried. It has to be. It has to be tried for our good. You know, when a trial comes and you go through that trial and you still trust Christ, now you know you have genuine faith. The Lord already knows if you have genuine faith. Right? He's the one who gave it to you. But now you know you have genuine faith. And it's not just an outward show of religion because you kept trusting Christ. Look at First Peter, if they're still there, in chapter 1, verse 5. Peter, you're talking about believers who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptation, that the trial of your faith be much more precious than a gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. See, our faith must be tried. You see what Peter says there in verse 6? If need be. Now for a season, if need be. Well, if the Lord sends you a trial, it must need be, right? He only sends these things if need be. 
to try our faith so that our faith is strengthened. Now let me tell you, anything that strengthens our faith in Christ is a good thing. It's a good thing. It, that doesn't mean it's not painful. It's painful, but it's still a good thing. And you can expect this. Our Heavenly Father is going to do what's good for his children. He's always going to do what's good for his children. So don't be surprised when these things happen. Number two, when trials come your way, trust the word of God. Trust God's word. When the Lord sends a trial your way, get in God's word. Read it. Devour it. Beg God to reveal himself to you in his word. You know, it's a shame that it takes a trial to drive us into God's word in but that's just the way it is, and that's the way it'll always be, unfortunately, as long as we're in this flesh. But get in God's word. There's comfort, there's strength, there's instruction for your soul in God's word. And if you look back at Matthew chapter 4, Matthew gave us uh, many more details about this, this 40 days of temptation in the wilderness. And when he does, our Savior's giving us an example of of what is our strength? What, what, what do you use to, to strengthen your soul in this, in the, in times of trial? Matthew 4, verse 1. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It's written, Man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Here Satan tempts our Lord with the lust of the flesh. Now you can imagine going 40 days without food. Our Lord Jesus was starving to death. I've, I read somewhere that 40 days is the maximum amount that the human body can go without food. He was at the point his body couldn't take anymore. I recently had some uh, tests where I couldn't eat all day or I could only eat a uh, liquid diet, you know, one day and the next day, you know, you can't eat nothing until, you know, after this test. John, it's hard for me to go eight hours without eating. Our Lord went 40 days. 40 days. How easy would it have been for a man starving to death to just give in to this temptation? It would have been very easy, wouldn't it? But he didn't do it. This man has the power to turn stones into bread. But he didn't do it for his own benefit. And you know why he didn't do it? Because remember, he's there as the representative of his people. If you were somewhere and you are starving to death and surrounded by a bunch of stones, you couldn't turn them into bread, could you? Well, the Savior didn't either because he's your representative. He couldn't do something for himself you can't do for yourself. Our Lord never one time performed a miracle for his own benefit. It was always for the benefit of somebody else. And instead of, of giving in to this, this temptation, he answered the trial with the word of God. That's what we're to do. Now read on, verse 5. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down. For it's written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Now here Satan tempts the Lord with the pride of life. 
He says, just jump off this building. Like you're going to commit suicide. And if you're really the son of God, God won't let you die. He'll send his angels and they'll catch you. Why, why the Lord wouldn't even allow you to stub your toe on a stone. He, he wouldn't allow that. Now, can you imagine how much you would be tempted to do that? How tired do you reckon the Lord God of people not believing? Not believing he's the son of God. This is the son of God came preaching the kingdom. And people didn't believe him. I mean, wouldn't you be tempted to, to show people who you really are? But see, that Satan quoted scripture there, but this is what he does. He quoted scripture, but he twisted it. He misused it. This, that is a misuse of a promise of God just to show off. That's, that's what he was wanting the Lord to do. Now again, our Lord didn't do that because his people can't do it. And instead of giving in to the temptation, he answered with the word of God. Now that's where we find the answer. That's why I tell us, get in God's word and read it and devour it because that's where you find the answers. All right, verse eight. Again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them and said unto him, all these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Here Satan tempts the Savior with the lust of the eyes. Now Satan's the prince of the power of the air. He has a dominion. He has some, some, some uh, power, you know, in the earth. But it's power that the Lord's given him. He can only go as far as the Lord will allow him. Satan's the prince of the power of the air, but he doesn't have control. He doesn't have control over the earth. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The Lord is the one who puts kings on the throne. He's the one who takes them off the throne. Those kingdoms already belong to the Lord. So Satan's promising something here. He can't deliver. He can't deliver because it's not his to give. But this is Satan's trick, is his, his method. He started with Eve, promising her something that wasn't true by twisting the word of God. He said, you eat this fruit, then you'll be as God. You'll be the one deciding what's good and what's evil. You'll be the one making the rules. Well, it worked with Eve, didn't it? But not with our Lord. Your Lord came to this earth as a humble, poor man. This man is the Prince of Glory. John tells us in the in New Jerusalem, there'll be no need of the Son. For Christ the Son is the light thereof. I mean, he's the light of heaven. But he came to earth as a humble, poor man. He didn't own a house. He didn't have a place to lay his head. He said, even the foxes have dens. Some man doesn't even have a place to lay his head. And Satan is tempting that man. The one who doesn't own a home. That doesn't, doesn't have a, a place to sleep tonight. It, it doesn't have, you know, just any money, that resources, you know, humanly speaking whatsoever. And he's tempting him with all the riches and all the houses of the world. All he had to do was bow down and worship Satan. All he had to do was to commit idolatry. That's all he had to do. And he wouldn't be a poor man anymore. You know, sometimes when we're uh, in a trial, you could be tempted to compromise, couldn't you? You could be tempted to compromise the, the gospel. Well, our Savior didn't. And he didn't 
by answering with the word of God. Verse 10, Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it's written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, the angels came and ministered unto him. See, God is to be worshipped. Not And here, here's the answer that the Lord gave Satan, and this is a good answer for you and me. We need to remember this. God's to be worshipped. Period. God is to be worshipped. I don't care who we are. I don't care what God's done for us. He's to be worshipped. God's to be worshipped if he saves us or if he damns us. God's to be worshipped if he heals us or makes us sick. He's to be worshipped equally both ways. God's to be worshipped if he kills us or makes us alive. If he makes us rich or if he makes us poor. If he tries us or he delivers us. Either way, whatever, God's to be worshipped. That's our relationship with God. He's God, we're the creature. He's God, we're the sinner, and we're to worship him. That's our relationship. But you won't find that anywhere but in the word of God, will you? Now, when you see, when you read God's word, and I told you, now read it and beg God to, to show himself to you in it. Don't just, don't read God's word looking for what you're supposed to do. If I do this, this, and this, then, you know, I'll be delivered. That's worse. Pray that God would reveal himself to you. If the Lord gives us a glimpse of himself, we'll worship. See, that, that's the answer. Nothing will strengthen and comfort and instruct our souls like the word of God. And I think this is a true statement. That's especially true when we're in a time of trial. Because when we're in a time of trial, and you really need the Lord. And you seek him, you'll find him. You surely will. All right, number three. This is very comforting. When the Savior was tempted, do you know the Spirit never left him? The Lord Jesus was always full of the Spirit. He was always the Son of God, and he knew it. Well, if you're a child of God, the Spirit's always with you too. A trial does not mean that the Lord's casting you off. You know, unfortunately, we think that. The trial comes and, well, what did I do wrong? And worse yet, a trial comes on somebody else and we think, ooh, what did they do wrong? A trial does not mean that the Lord's casting you off. Now, since you're a child of God, when you're hurting, draw closer to the Savior than ever before. He's not left you. I'll give you a, a silly little illustration that uh, warms my papa's heart. When our grandson, Grayson, is upset, you know what he does? He smushes his face just right into the side of his mama's face. I mean, he's going to get as close to her as he possibly can. He just gets in there and just smishes their faces together. That what, that's what makes him feel better. I want to be as close to mama as possible. If you're a child of God and you're hurting, smush yourself up to the Savior. Get as close as you possibly can to him. He's not left you. And he'll comfort your heart. His presence, listen to me now, 
I know what I'm talking about. His presence will comfort your heart. It won't take the hurt away. It won't take the pain away. It won't take the trial away. Not immediately it won't. But even though the heat of the trial is the same as it ever was before, you're going to be comforted if you're in his presence. All right, number four. This trial lasted a long time. But our Lord was delivered right on time. Now, 40 days is a long time to be without food and without water. And during that time, Mark tells us something that you don't read in other places. During that time, the Lord is also surrounded by wild beasts. That's a long time. But the Savior was delivered from that trial. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the Lord has promised that he'll do the same thing for all of his children. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that you may be able to bear it. Now that's a precious, precious promise. It says here that will that uh, he'll not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able. And you think, well, I'm not able to endure anything. I'm not able. Well, no, you're not. But here's how you'll be able. He's going to give you grace sufficient to bear it. See, he's going to be the one to strengthen you to be able to bear it. That's his promise to you. Now, hang on to that promise for all your worth. The Lord will give you grace to bear whatever it is he sends to you. And he will eventually make a way to escape. And when you plead with God in the midst of the trial, in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of the heartache, and when you plead with God, I'll tell you a mighty good plea. Best plea I can think of is plead God's word. Plead his own word. Plead his own promises. God will honor his word. He'll keep his promise. I, I, can, I can tell you that. Now, I told you earlier that believers should expect trials. Expect them. And that's true. But listen, it's not all doom and gloom for the believer. You know, just, we're not saying just expect trials like that's the only thing that you can expect. You know what else a believer can expect? My grace is sufficient for you. You can expect that. You know why you can expect it? Because the Lord promised it. You know, a person not really thinking about, about what you're saying might think that you're being cocky, that you're being very presumptuous to say, the Lord's going to give me grace sufficient for this. But it's not presumption to expect the Lord to keep his promise. This is his promise to you. I'll give you grace sufficient. And I will make a way of escape. All right, number five, the Lord was tried, but he was always protected. The Lord was tried of Satan. Satan couldn't find anything in him to work with. Satan couldn't harm him. But also during those 40 days, Mark tells us that the Lord was surrounded by wild beasts. Those beasts were always there. I don't know, maybe they growled. 
Maybe they roared, maybe, you know, whatever those things, you know, animals do, but they never harmed the Savior. You know why? Because the Lord's in control. He's able to make a wild beast do something that's not in its nature. Same thing he did for Daniel and lion's den, didn't he? He made those lions do something that's not in their nature. Now that Lord is the same Lord today. Ruling today just like he always has. You and I are surrounded by wild beasts. We're surrounded by men. And I promise you, they're worse than any lion that you can find. But the Lord is still able to make those wild beasts do something that's not in their nature to do. The Lord's going to send trials to his people. But I promise you this. They'll hurt the body, but they'll never touch the soul. Because the Lord's protected his people. And the sixth thing is this, and this is just what I was saying here a minute ago. You remember when a trial comes your way. Now remember this. It's so important. It's something that will only comfort the hearts of God's people. The Lord's the one that's in control of this thing. He's the refiner sitting there controlling the heat of the fire. He's the one controlling how long his precious metals in, in that fire. The Lord's in control of this thing. Why was the Savior in the wilderness in the first place? Well, Mark tells us it's because the Spirit drove him there. Matthew says it's because the Holy Spirit led him there. This trial was the Lord's doing all along. The Spirit led him there. The devil didn't do it. God did it. God did it. And God did it for a reason. For the good of his people. And as hard and as painful as this trial was for our Savior, it was for good, wasn't it? It was for the good of his people. Is that he went and he stood up to that temptation of Satan for us. He went there to suffer that trial to give us an example to follow in his steps when we're in a time of, of trial and trouble. This was a painful trial for our Savior, but it was for good, wasn't it? It's for the good of his people. Now, the same thing is true when the Lord sends a trial our way. This is for good. We may not be able to see it. We may not be able to understand. Sometimes we will. Sometimes we won't. I don't know. I like what Brother Henry said. I remember him saying this years ago about trials coming. He said, now, the Lord's working them for good. Not necessarily your good. <laughs> Could be for the good of somebody else. It's, this trial is going to be painful for you. It's going to be difficult for you. It's going to be just, if you're in the time, in the fire. That's not good for you. I mean, it doesn't feel good, but the Lord's working it for good. It could be the good of somebody else. But I do know this. This is one way a trial is always good for God's people. Always. It increases our faith. So we trust the Lord more than we ever did before. It Trials teach us by experience how much I can really depend upon the Lord. You know, there's a great big difference between book learning and learning by experience in there. Great big difference. I've said this before, and I think it sums up what I'm trying to say. As long as I can remember 
as long as I've ever understood language, I truly believed God's grace is sufficient. I believe that because it's in the word of God, so it has to be true. I believe that. And then one day I found my world turned upside down. And I actually said these words to my wife. What am I going to do now? I can't do this. I cannot do this. I cannot endure this. And you know what I found out? God's grace is sufficient. Learning that by experience is a whole big difference from book learning. And trials wean us away from this world. You know, we'd never want to leave this world until we suffered the effects of sin in it. A man told me recently, he said, told me it's a true story about a man who was sick and knew he was dying. He was in the worship service and the pastor had asked him to, to read scripture and to lead in prayer if he had a, had a word for the congregation to give it. And the man did. His family was there. He read the scripture. And he looked back at his pastor. He said, Pastor, it's these reasons. It's hard to leave. His family. You, you never want to leave them unless the world weans you away from this world. We'll always think I find my joy in this world until the Lord teaches us our joys in Christ. And trials teach us that. Wean us away from the world. And then trials keep us. They keep us looking to, depending upon Christ. It's just the way of the flesh, isn't it? Oh, I trust Christ. I do. And as time goes, my flesh will get strong and make me think I can depend upon, you know, the arm of my flesh and the Lord's God knock me down to make me remember, oh, how much I depend on Christ. And anything that does that for me is good. It will still hurt, but it's good. It's just I likened it to, uh, to getting a, a spanking as a child. It hurt like the dickens. But it was good for me. It taught me. And trials from our Heavenly Father accomplish the same thing. Now they'll be grievous. But afterward, it produces the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Well, I hope that'll be a blessing and a help to you.